is the very first episode of the Footballs Scouting Podcast, uh, brought to you by Expand the Box Score. So this is um, what I really want this podcast to be is a scouting podcast by scouts for scouts and fans who want to learn more about scouting. So our first guest today is going to be uh, Cyril Penn. I am the scouting coordinator at XTB, and he is my scouting director. So we've been working a lot on all of the scouting reports and building a game plan for what we want XTB scouting to be. So how are you doing today? I am doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me on for the uh, initial episode. I'm excited to see what this uh, podcast blooms into. So the... XTB had, or we had a very interesting journey to get to where we are at. The, um, the whole project started out essentially as a solo project by, by me. I wanted to write good scouting reports. I wanted them to be nice and organized and have good methodology so I can hand them to scouts and front office people at the Senior Bowl where regular people can interact with Front NFL front office people and just be able to knock their socks off. And um, you you like the way I did things. I found some other people who liked the way I did things. And then we made it a collaborative project. Mm-hmm. We started the project off at Draft Right, and then things happened with Draft Right, and we left Draft Right, and then we became the hottest scouting free agents on the internet. And <laughs> now we're over at uh, <laughs> Expand the Box Score. Quite the um, trip we've taken so far. It's weird to think that like this concept isn't even a year old yet and it's already superseded what I even thought, what I even thought it would be. Oh yeah. I mean, well, we've, we've got a, we've collected a group of people who are all focused on this common goal of having as good of work as possible. um, Combining quality and quantity with the amount of reports that we're getting out. So just the sheer amount of people that have been assembled, um, I think in a in a funny enough way, uh, assembling this group was aided by the whole coronavirus pandemic. A lot of us were laid off from our football jobs that now um, are on the fritz, non-existent or barely hanging on by a thread. So a lot of us found ourselves with a lot of free time and we said, hey, let's come together. Uh, now, a lot of us are starting back up with work as uh, things are picking up. But we're still committed and we're still bringing content to the public uh, constantly. So you'll love to see it. Exactly. And that's kind of the lane we're trying to take is we really want to be the site that provides scouting reports that are as similar as possible to what an NFL GM might receive to one of their scouts. So and that's going to be the um, our plan for when we make our draft guide. Uh, we are working on designing, and we already have methodology set on bringing you a draft guide of over 300 players, player rankings. We have a doctor on staff that will be doing injury analysis. Uh, Rob should be on to talk about his um, athletic scores, and we're hoping this can be a true, truly excellent draft guide that'll be as good as what you would see from like a printed draft guide that you can get at your local CVS. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, with the amount of quantity of reports that we're doing, we're going to have at least 300 in there and the quality of our work uh, combined with um, some added stats from expand the box score. 
Uh, Robert Simpson's athletic score, we'll talk to him about a little bit later. Um, Dr. Chona's injury assessment score. There, It's going to be just jam-packed with a ton of super useful information that you're not necessarily going to be able to get in other places and from other guides. And the fact that we're going to do it for a pretty low price hasn't been quite determined yet, but shouldn't be over $15 at this point. Um, it's going to be a, a hot item that people are going to want to get their hands on. And I'm, I'm really excited to be part of it, let alone be uh, spearheading it with you, Paul. Absolutely. Like, I just want this to be just like a spear, just going straight through the industry. I want to be, I want our draft guide to be talked about as much as a PFS draft guide, whatever Matt Miller or the draft networks uh, guides are doing. And we are more than with our team, we are more than capable of doing so. So the question I think a lot of people wondering would be essentially, how did we get to where we're at? We're both young in the industry. I'm 25 uh, how old are you? How old are you, sir? All twenty-four. I'll be twenty-five in January. Exactly. So yeah, we're both about the same age, but we wanted to talk about what the difference is between, say, our scouting reports that we're writing now and the scouting reports that we were writing two years ago, or the scouting mm-hmm. reports of somebody who is just starting to write scouting reports, maybe for your local, uh, your local blog, uh, your local blog, or writing scouting reports from fun. We want to talk about how you can take your scouting reports from the next level. What are some things that you see from, say, inexperienced scouts that um, they can use to improve and start um, that are like problems for inexperienced scouting reports? Okay. Well, the, the number one thing that I talk to our scouts about consistently, um, which is tough to get a hold on at first when you're first getting into scouting, is we need to be scouting the process, not the results. We don't want to say this guy's really fast because he breaks away for a lot of touchdowns. We don't want to say this guy's a really good tackler because he makes a lot of tackles. We want to know what what makes him a good tackler. So tell me, does he say square to the line? Is he going near hip, near shoulder? Does he wrap up and drive consistently? Does he have his spine properly aligned? Does he have his head up? So we can see his target. Those are all the small things. And if you don't understand the process as an early level scout, I definitely recommend looking at coaching clinics, finding, okay, what do position coaches that coach this position want out of their players? And not just watching one or two, um, watching five different coaches talk about a certain position because coaches want they're generally going to want slightly different things but there will be a key um thread that weaves through that you can say okay this this and this are primary examples of good tackling for a linebacker and okay i can look at that then something you and i were talking about just yesterday if you're a new scout look at high-end to mid-level NFL players, how do they look at performing such trades? How do their processes look? And then after watching those players, go back and watch these college players, and you can see, okay, they have this process down, but they're not quite as good at this, and explain to me why. 
Exactly. Like if you're watching your very first offensive lineman, it's go um, and it might be difficult for you to see how quick his feet are if you've never seen any other offensive lineman's feet. Like you could be watching football for ten years, but never have taken the time to stop, look at an offensive lineman, and not just look at an offensive lineman, see how quick and choppy their feet are. So mm-hmm. it really can take a lot of experience and time to and watching a lot of guys to realize. These are these are really quick feet. These are good feet. These feet are a little slow. These feet are going to be a huge red flag if he wants to be in the NFL. And that's uh, that's something that takes time. But if you try to focus on why something's happening instead of what is happening, you're on the right track and you're making progress Mm -hmm. as a scout. I like to say the results are going to change at the next level when the competition is a lot harder, but their process for the most part is going to stay the same. So judging how good their process is, um, is going to help you to judge how their results will be at the next level. Exactly. And some, uh, sometimes, especially if you don't watch enough games, a player can have good processes and just in small sample size have bad results. Mm-hmm. A player. A player can have really great footwork, a really great release or accuracy, but if you just watch the three wrong games of him where he uh, where he misses where he misses some throws, maybe some of those throws the route the routes weren't run perfectly, or he thought a guy was going to be here and but he wasn't, and then it looks like an inaccurate throw and it was something else. So that's why uh, looking at the processes, looking at the feet, looking at the release for a quarterback. For running backs, looking at their instincts and mm-hmm. learning about the more nitty gritty, it's not even that nitty gritty, but some of the more details of football will really take your scouting um, to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another thing that uh, I know you wanted to bring up is having an understanding of what is this player being asked to do in this specific scheme? You want to elaborate a little bit on that? Uh. Yes, like the amount of times that like I he would hear somebody describe how like Justin Herbert throwing a lot of screens was a weakness just made me just really upset. Like I think scouts and people should be able to um, differentiate between what is something that is a weakness and what is something that we just don't really know because college football coaches their job is to win, not to not so much to develop players for the next level. So, mm-hmm. for example, Justin Herbert was really never asked to do too many full field reads. He was mostly asked to do half field reads because, well, that's what the um the offense was set for. Most mm-hmm. college coaches don't have Justin Herberts as their quarterback. They might have someone less um lesser. So they build offenses that are easy for quarterbacks to understand. So people who will I felt put unnecessary um, criticism on Herbert when the real issue was he's not being asked to do this stuff and we shouldn't criticize people for not doing stuff that they're not asked. This could also apply to running backs who haven't been asked to catch the ball out of the backfield a lot. If he's only has 15 targets, it's really difficult to evaluate his hands, and we don't know if he's not being used because he's not good at it or if he's not being used in a certain manner because that's just a coach's preference. So being able to differentiate between something that is like a known, um, like a known known, like you, uh, you've seen this running back try to run routes and catch passes and he doesn't look good, or a known unknown, which is something where 
this is something you are looking for, you're actively looking for it, but you don't know how good he is, is so important. And mm-hmm. it's kind of been one of the, if you were to look at my scouting reports, we have a whole section for things that we are going to say we don't know about a guy. And we're probably going to be, we, we are going to be the only uh, draft guide that's going to have essentially three sections, strengths, weaknesses, things that we don't know. So mm-hmm. I think that will add like more depth and a better understanding of what a player can and cannot do on the football field by acknowledging there are things we don't know. Speaking of running backs, um, the primary example of that is a guy like Duke Johnson, who had almost no opportunities as a pass catcher in college and now is considered by a lot of people to be one of the prime examples of a pass catching quote unquote back in the NFL. Uh, Just because he didn't have those opportunities did not mean that he couldn't do that. Exactly. Melvin Gordon as well. He rarely caught the ball as a back in Wisconsin. And now he's one of, I'd say, a top 10 pass catching back in the NFL, or at least he was before he got old. So absolutely. There, There are some other instances where it can be telling the fact that a player is not doing something. Um, for example, a, a two down linebacker who's coming off the field in college on third downs. Um, you're going to question that guy in terms of how well he can uh, adjust in pass coverage at the NFL level if his coaches don't even trust him to do so at the college level. But at the same time, you need to get out of that thinking and think, okay, with the traits that I do see in the opportunity that he does have, how does he perform? Exactly. I mean, uh, some some things like tight ends with uh, blocking or um, some tight ends block a lot, some tight ends... Um, run a lot of routes, but with linebackers, if you're getting taken off the field for coverage, that is like a huge aspect and a huge part of the game mm-hmm. that would make it would make up that player one very one dimensional. So uh, another thing that I believe can really up the game of your guys' scouting reports is learning how to avoid scouting cliches. We have a whole list of scouting cliches that whenever we see or whenever uh, one of our scouts use them, we're, we're just like, come on, don't don't use that. You're, we're not trying to sound like Mel Kuyper. We're not trying to sound like you're the most mainstream draft bro out there who's, who's saying as little as possible with as much words as possible. We uh-huh. want all of the, the sentences and all of the words in our report to have meaning that you can understand what they're saying. And when you say something like, this offensive lineman knows how to get the job done, mm. what are you saying? What job is it? Is Does he always get the job done? Because I'm sure he doesn't always get the job done. What are some of uh, your favorites? What are some scouting cliches that you have seen, say, from our scouts? That um, Man, the, the, well, I can tell you one scouting cliche that you'll never um, hear the XTV team say is, generational talent we will stay as far away from the word generational talent as possible i don't care if we're talking penesel micah parsons trevor lawrence justin fields whoever you think is your number one guy we are not calling him a generational talent save that we're we're saving that for um the the mel kuypers of the world no (laughs) don't mean to diss mel kuyper twice in uh in the span of two minutes but he's our he's our uh our goat example in this. 
Um, yeah. I never so- want to see someone say he can make all the throws. I never want to see someone um, use coded language for a player, uh, especially like, oh, this is a Wes Welker type white slot receiver who's a deceptively quick gym rat, which all of that just means, hey, this guy's white. Um, I don't want to see anything like that. I want you to talk about the player as he is deceptively quick if you're into scouting, you'll know that that means he's white. Exactly. Like, why do you need to say he's deceptively quick? Why Why can't he just be quick? Yep. Like, and ha- so, yeah, try to look at all of your reports. And if you're using words like gritty, blue collar, or anything that sounds like the part in my take guys describing a fullback, then <laughs> you're probably not really saying anything of note like being gritty hard-nosed or or even sometimes toughness yes sometimes you can see toughness uh toughness there are very vague uh concepts that Mm. can be pretty easily construed i mean a guy you might look at a player in some games and you just see see toughness because he's a linebacker and linebackers are naturally tough but you don't really see all the stuff he does in practice. He might he might actually be not very tr- tough. He might be a wimp who skips out on weight room stuff. So I guess it kind of falls on stuff we don't know. And obviously all stuff we don't see in film is all stuff we don't know. But yeah, try to focus on things that you absolutely know, things that you see on the field. Um, instead of using descriptive um, words like okay and good and great i know the scouting academy Mm -hmm. they have like a whole like numbered system where average is five good is six great is seven excellent is this and it's like unless you know what those are like i'm not i can never really um how i visualize the difference between great and excellent might be different from somebody else's so i really just try to say what that player does and not try to use Fancy adjectives. One thing I never want to see out of our guys, I never want to hear a player has all the tools, but he just needs to put it together. That's something that I see constantly on Twitter, constantly from different people's reports, and it's completely meaningless to me. What tools? Describe those tools. What does he need to put together? Describe that. I I do not want to hear he has all the tools, but he needs to put it together. You could say that about 200 prospects in this draft class, perhaps more. Yes, I mean, lots of players have tools, and it, you know, if I, you know, if I put all my tools together, maybe, maybe I can, maybe, maybe you can be a, be a prospect. You do have a lot of tools. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a wrench right here. Yeah, <laughs> I have a, I've got a couple screwdrivers. You, you never know. <laughs> For, uh, I think like a better way that you can put it is I'm kind of, I've been watching a guy who you might that falls under the traditional has all the tools, but still needs to put it together is Mm -hmm. I would, I would list say, Hey, this guy shows very quick feet. He flashes high level strength. You can see him bowl guys over, but this, um, these flashes of play aren't consistent and he too often gets beaten on edge rushes. And Mm -hmm. so, 
that's kind of how I would rather approach this is I would explain what the tools are, explain what the what the weakness is that is keeping him from putting this all together. And even though the putting all the tools together, like you can kind of get the visual. I want to give you that visual, but then also give you the details of what mm-hmm. that means. Absolutely. Uh, I have a, an example of a player that I've scouted for XTB this year. Uh, Coin Dang the inside linebacker from University of California, go Bears. Uh, he is a six foot six inside linebacker who last year was his first year as an inside linebacker. He's got great sideline to sideline speed. He gets downhill quickly. He's got good range of pass coverage. His length allows him to shed blocks really easily. But he right now is what I would call a legitimately bad tackler. I know some other people... Might see it other ways, but I see himself. Uh, I see him as a dive tackler who really needs to improve in that respect. Um, one of those things is never draft a receiver who can't catch. Never draft a linebacker who can't tackle. Those are the type of things he needs to put together. Uh, but I would never say he has all the tools, but needs to put them all together. I'd say he's a developmental prospect who needs to completely rework his tackling fundamentals to become a guy who could potentially be a Pro Bowl ceiling with um, his combination of speed, height, weight, and ability to rush off the edge. Those are some tools that you don't usually find. But if he's not going to improve on his tackling, which it's really a bummer that we're not going to be able to see him coming into his second season as an inside linebacker improve on his tackling now that uh, the Pac-12 is apparently not uh, going to move forward with their season. It's tough to grade guys like that and i understand that but you got to give someone like that a developmental grade and that's at a certain point in the draft okay hey we can afford to take a flyer on a developmental guy like that who uh spending this much capital on him isn't going to set us back in any way because we know that he's a big uh boomer bust type guy because of these uh critical issues that he has in his game Absolutely. It's like that that right there um, painted a much better picture of what that prospect is than than uh, than the phrase has all the tools but needs to put it together. And he also doesn't have all the tools because he can't tackle. (laughs) Anyone ask Mark Jarvis what he thinks about Coindang. He will give you rave reviews. Yep. Mark Jarvis, friend of the show, even though it just started. (laughs) (laughs) We got a lot of friends of the show. We're gonna bring on. Absolutely. Uh, game plan is is we have uh, twelve or thirteen people on staff. Fourteen if you count our advisor Ron. Um, and we are going to try to bring as many of the um, as many of the scouts who want to on to share with you guys uh, the players that they're scouting, the things that they have learned from scouting uh, loads of players over the off season. And hopefully that will give the listener the the knowledge needed to be a more educated NFL draft fan. Absolutely. I mean, if, we, if we're talking to everyone, we're going to be talking about hundreds and hundreds of prospects on here in depth. And you can guarantee that the people who are coming on here have watched the prospects. It's not going to be one of those podcasts where, hey, I think this guy looks kind of good. I watched one film of 10 different guys and here's my top 10 list. You're not going to. You're not going to get top 10 lists from us in here. You're going to get 
an actual scout's opinion on a player that he's watched at least four games minimum of all 22 on, and he's very confident in his evaluation. And if our scout is not confident in their evaluation, it's uh, not getting published. Yeah, so exactly. That's, that's just how it goes. I mean, well, that's the nice thing about having people who have competency and the nice thing about um, the fact that we have been doing ongoing training for our guys to make sure that we're all improving um, as a unit entirely. Exactly. That's that's the goal. That's the plan. And that's what that's what we're doing. And that's how we are trying to stand out. So let's get into some like the big story in college football is kind of the lack of college football. Mm. There is a tiny thing that we cannot see that's been getting into people's bodies. And then when it gets into their bodies, they like cough a lot. And then if they're older, have weakened immune systems. And even in some rare cases, even if they don't, they die. And that's just like really, really scary. We don't, we don't really have too many tiny bugs coming into people's body and killing some people and that spreads. So the big 10 They've canceled. They've apparently canceled their football season. Pac-12, they're done. The MAC, they're done. Division two and Division three uh, playoffs, they're done. And some players are taking this opportunity to say, hey, if there's a spring season, if there's a fall season, we're just not going to play. We're not going to put our bodies at uh, our bodies at risks. We're not going to risk getting coronavirus. Some of these people may have older older family members. I know I visit my grandma Lowe's, and I don't want to get coronavirus. And I don't want to give it to her. So there has been about, what is it, eight, eight um, first round, first round level, first second round level players who have opted out. I know we had two Fele and uh, Surratt from Wake Forest opt out today. Yep. What are your, um, uh, how do you think opting out is going to impact these potential first round players? Oh, man. Well, if most of the guys are who are opting out from what I've seen so far are guys who have already pretty much shored their stock up and are okay with sitting on their mostly junior or sophomore tape. Um, A lot of these guys, I feel confident that it's not going to affect their stock that much that they've already got put enough film out there. Um, Guys like Michael Parsons, Caleb Farley, uh, maybe even to to a certain extent. Um, Surratt has a ton of great film out there. He could have come out last year. Did not have much to prove, honestly. Um, but for the guys that are in the Big Ten who stood to gain a lot, the guy, the the Jason Oways, who had not started previously but has a crazy uh, freak athletic profile, um, those guys are really left hanging and probably confused about what to do considering the college football season is supposed to start relatively soon and all of a sudden um they are almost out of a job in a way uh that's funny they that's me sneaking in that they should uh be getting paid for their efforts um (laughs) but the the thing that i've been pitching and anyone listening to this who's in a high position of power and can speak to uh Pac-12 and Big Ten officials, uh, the thing that I would like to see is for those conferences to create their own showcases, a Pac-12 showcase, a Big Ten showcase, where each team 
say from the Pac-12, um, elects six to eight players, um, three or four on offense, three or four on defense, of their best and um, highest level draft guys who need an opportunity to shine to go out and be in their own bubble, potentially, and play against each other. It's something that could easily be televised, a good way to get these players um, on film. My, my, um, my dream, I would say, is for Pac-12 showcase to happen one week and simultaneously have a Big Ten showcase. Teams definitely have the scouting power to get scouts to both uh, events. Second week, after practices between the Pac-12 guys, practices between the Big Ten guys, those two teams, Big Ten All-Stars versus Pac-12 All-Stars. Who says no? I'm not saying no. I I would uh, kill for um, like a Big Ten All-Star game where uh, just because I would want to see uh, Sean Wade go up against Rondale Moore, Moore and Rashad Bateman all day. That would be... My, that would be my dream because, like, Sean Wade is kind of the interesting case of someone who I really don't know what to do with that much now that the C- uh, Big Ten season is gone. Mm-hmm. Like, Sean Wade was playing behind Damon Arnett and uh, Jeff Okuda last season, and this year he was projected to take the move from the slot corner where he was dominant to the outside corner. Now he had all the tool. Uh, he has all the tools, and by all the tools, I mean the quickness, the um, hand placement. Great, was great at press coverage, jamming and disrupting receivers all the way um, all around the field to make a switch to outside corner. But it's hard to project that because we've never really seen it on tape. And I wouldn't want to spend a first round pick on a corner where I'm anticipating him being an outside corner like a, or like a shutdown corner for number one wide receivers when I've never seen him as um, on film as anything more than the, the team's third corner. It's just very difficult to do. You're doing more projecting, and you're basing more of your opinion on things that are you're guessing on, and that's really difficult for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for a guy like Sean Wade, I mean, he's proven enough over his film that you, as the person who scouted him for our team, probably could definitively say that he could be a starting nickel corner in the league. But absolutely. does he have the versatility to play inside and outside? And versatility in the secondary is a super key thing nowadays. Um that added versatility would have been a major boost to his stock, and just playing on the outside would have probably shown that to teams. Now they're left guessing and uh, not knowing how he'll be in uh, an area where he might face a lot of bigger receivers, receivers who are better at getting off of press. Um, like you said, he's, he's a good press guy because he's getting into those slot corners who are not, or slot receivers rather, who are not used to someone being physical and in their face and having the ability to flip their hips as well when they get off the line. So he coming up to those slot receivers, jamming them and getting in their face and disrupting um, the timing of all their routes, that's a foreign thing to most slot guys. And that is one of the things that made Sean Wade such a great weapon for the Ohio State defense last year 
now we're not going to see if he can hold up to that same level with bigger, more prototypical X receivers on the outside. Um, something that's upsetting, but we just have to live with it and trust our evaluations and our ability to project based on these processes. Exactly, and that's why uh, that's kind of why we want some of these showcases, more All Star game, more All Star games, so we can kind of uh, we can kind of see this. There's going to be a lot of questions we're going to have on these players, both small school players who in the FCS who aren't going to be getting much um, time on film to players in these major conferences. It's going to be very, very, uh, very difficult. And the other thing is, is it's not just going to be difficult for us am- more amateur scouts. It's also going to be difficult for Bill Belichick. Even mm-hmm. the best of the best are going to have this problem. And I actually kind of hope it can be a li- at least a little bit of a equalizer here. Hmm. You know, it, in a way, it, it should be an equalizer. In another way, it might be even harder because our... Um, scouting crew doesn't have the access to the medical reports that uh, team officials do, obviously. We don't have the access to behind the scenes talking to the coaches about how these players have been um, training, and we're not going to know how their work ethic has held up during the pandemic and during all the changes. Um, it's for, for some players that deal with this adversity well that might be a boost to their stock that we as outsiders don't exactly know um because we're not going to know who is in the weight room every day but those scouts just might that's that's the thing that is the separator but other than that the lack of film and having to project multiple years in the future i know a lot of nfl teams like to project guys for year two because the most growth often happens between year one and year two, especially with a player trying to uh, pick up. So uh, one of the things that's really important about that and one of the um, things that we are really going to have to focus on is when we get to the NFL Combine, what players have clearly been in the gym? We... We talk about how you can tell someone's been in the gym by what their bench press reps are or by their DJ or their long jump. Um, Those are things that are really going to measure, like, who has been working, especially these guys who are opting out right now, saying that they're training for the combine, which I think is is pretty great because uh, I, I can't wait for the guy who opts out and says he's training for the combine and then doesn't get a combine invite. That will uh, be simultaneously sad and a little bit funny to me. Um, but, you know, with, with that, we're going to be trying to amplify the importance of athleticism. And with our final scores, a lot of our tied um, scores are going to be separated by an athletic score that our own Robert Simpson is going to develop. And I think. With that said, we might uh, bring on Rob to, to chat about it. Absolutely. Hey, Paul, how you doing? How you doing? So uh, here we have uh, Rob, Sim- uh, Rob Simpson. He is one of our uh, scouts. 
he is kind of unofficially the uh, the third guy um, in when it comes to leadership. Doesn't really have an official title, but like we're we we know he's good and he's as good as and as good as any of the uh, scouts here at just scouting and understanding how football works. And one of the things or one of the reasons I'm really excited to have you on the team is that you also have a great analytics background. You're good with numbers. You're and uh, you're working on developing an athlete, um, a statistic or a measurement to describe athletic ability and mm-hmm. combine stats. How do you plan on that? Uh, what inspired that and how are you uh, planning on making it your own? Sure. Um Thanks for the kind words, Paul. Um, I'm, you know, really excited to be a part of the team. And uh, yeah, I do have a little bit of analytics background. Um, I was a business analytics major uh, at Auburn University, and then uh, did some work on uh, on the Cape with one of their their baseball teams, doing doing analytics for the Wareham Gateman, and uh, did a little uh, published a few analytics articles for Sports Info Solutions when I was there as well. Um, but yeah, so what I wanted to look at for my uh, positional combine score is the working title at the moment. But uh, what I wanted to look at is uh, there are a lot of uh, draft websites and things who look at players uh, compared to their position. So looking at percentile, um, you know, how good uh, is a guy's 40-yard dash versus his uh, the rest of the position. Uh, etc. But I wanted to look at how important is each draft measurement to the success of a player by position. So, for example, 40-yard dash is probably more important for a wide receiver than it is for an offensive lineman who maybe you might look at the the bench press more uh, for that kind of prospect. So I wanted to look at that. Um, That's basically what my positional combine score is going to look at. uh, I'm looking at how guys have fared in the NFL in the past and comparing that with how they performed at the combine or at their pro day. Um, and then going from there to kind of weight each metric for each different position. Exactly. Cause, uh, while the 40 yard dash gets like all of the hype and everybody's <laughs> excited to see if is Henry Ruggs going to beat Chris Johnson or uh, John Ross. Right. But in reality, one of the things that I get most excited about is broad jump and mm-hmm. vertical jump yeah. because hasn't uh, I haven't really looked at the studies, but haven't uh, studies shown that vertical jump and broad jump correlate more to success at skill positions like corner mm-hmm. or wide receiver and running back. Sure. Uh, so, more uh, so than 40 or dash. Yeah. So, those uh, those metrics are really important in terms of uh, burst, which is really important um, for skill positions. Uh, kind of getting off the line uh, is important to release for a wide receiver. You know, if you can't get vertical quickly, you're not going to be able to challenge that corner, make them take a little bit of a misstep, get flat-footed, and then be able to break off um, for some of the shorter routes. Um, and then it's, it's important for most positions, really. I mean, in order for... You to be successful as a lineman, you need to be able to get off and get your hands out um, in order to attack at the at the point of attack. So, um, yeah, that's I'm looking at the basic combine stats, and then I'm also combining them a little bit to uh, make different scores. You might have seen the speed score or the burst score are some of the different metrics that some NFL websites use. 
Um, so I'm looking at that. And then a couple other um, metrics adjusted for uh, like weight and height. Uh, and uh, so adjusting the 40 yard dash for height is interesting um, because uh, you have guys like Rondell Moore who are going to run these super like fast 40 yard dashes, um, but they're not very tall. Um, whereas uh, it really speaks to uh, a guy's variability if they um, can make those kind of big ball catches, you know, go up and get the ball and then also be, be quick in the open field. Um, so just a bunch of different metrics like that and then kind of coming up with a score uh, to measure how athletic the guy is at the end of the day. Exactly. And I feel that while the – well, it's going to be a very valuable metric at, uh, on its own, I also really like the idea of using the uh, athletic score to essentially break ties. Sure. Because uh, when we do our final grades, there's going to be a lot of players that end up with the same grades because our grade system is just goes to one decimal place and every decimal place represents a role. Mm-hmm. So there might be six, six point uh, wide receivers that we give a 6.6 grade to and they all they could all be very very different uh, receivers, mm-hmm. but ha- um, having an athletic score to say hey, this guy is looking like a six point six, but he's got a nine point two for athletic score. You're you're gonna go one uh, one through ten on your uh, on PCS right, or you're gonna go like one that. through hundred. Yeah, one through hundred, one through ten, kind of kind of range there. But yeah, it's definitely good to have that as a tiebreaker. Um, is how I, I view the combine. Um, you know, you don't just say, oh, this guy had an awesome combine. He's automatically going to be really successful. You say, okay, he had a good combine. Maybe we should go back and look at his tape some more. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the tape is really what defines how good a player is going to be. The combine uh, is good, but there are a lot of little minutia that the combine really just can't capture. Um, so I think it's good to have uh, a score in place, but um, not to place it as the end-all and be-all, because it certainly isn't. Absolutely, because if you if you do that, then you're, you're going to get guys like Shaquem Griffin or Rashawn Gary are going to shoot up to the top of the draft board. There's production matters just as much if, well, it actually matters way more than just sheer athleticism. Right. Uh, so being involved in both scouting and analytics there, I know there's kind of like some narrative that there is some heated rivalry that the scouts <laughs> on a football team and the ner- analytic nerds just don't get along. <laughs> when they're in team meetings, they throw popcorn at each other like like it's yeah. Moneyball or something. Uh, I actually I actually had the chance to talk with um, uh, the head coach and uh, general manager for the Cleveland Browns at the time. And that was one of the first, uh, first questions I asked. Mm -hmm. Granted it was Hugh Jackson. So, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, he said that that was one of like the biggest like myths is that Mm -hmm. we don't have, there's no like analytics guys and scouting guys. Everybody is just wants to use all the tools we have available to make the best decisions and the best um, for the team. So do you, uh, what what um, have you learned, I guess, trying to marry scouting and analytics, and what ideas do you have that you want to utilize to kind of, like, marry the two? Sure. Um, so football scout, football analytics is interesting because uh, it's not like baseball where it's kind of 
uh, a much more simplified relationship. You know, it's a, a, a batter versus a pitcher. It's something that can be very easily correlated with success. Whereas football, I mean, you have 22 different guys running around the field, all doing different things, all having their individual matchups. So it's just, it's very different. It's not something where you can put a number with it and it be necessarily uh, definitive of success. Um, you know, you do need to have that kind of scouting element that um, watching the game, uh, you know, not all stats are created equal. You know, someone might get a sack, but maybe that's because another guy was getting triple teamed. And so he ended up being a free rusher and got the sack. And that's kind of some things that uh, stats at the moment are not um, entirely able to quantify. Um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely good um, to look at both areas. And I think the future of football um, is going to be more analytics heavy, but scouting will always be at the forefront just because of the nature of the game. Exactly. Is that it doesn't matter what the the stats have to ha- don't happen in a vacuum like there are different systems if stats were the only thing that ever mattered then graham harrell colt uh colt mccoy colt mm. brennan <laughs> all those guys would be like the best quarterbacks ever i mean have right. you seen their college football stats or <laughs> so yeah having human beings to go through and say the reason he has so many um so such good stats is because the team is passing the ball a lot mm-hmm. and a lot of the passes are short uh short one read throws that hey they're working now in college i don't blame mm-hmm. the college coaches for trying to run them and they fit with them well but you probably can't get that to work super consistently at the nfl level Exactly. And uh, also credit to Case Keenum for his career that he I just love thinking that he's been like a backup for six years and has like one great year. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll tell you a lot. The <laughs> the one um, advancement in scout and uh, analytics that I would love to see. And I think that whatever team can do, this is just going to have such an advantage over everyone else is being able to quantify offensive line performance because I feel like that's the one area where like, you don't really have individual stats for offensive linemen. Like maybe you would record pancakes or something like that, but it's just so hard to quantify, you know, those workhorse guys up front who are involved on every single play. Like they're doing something every play, but you don't really see that in the scat in the stats. So if someone's able to kind of quantify that performance, um, I think that team will have a really big competitive advantage going forward. Absolutely. And offensive line play is just so difficult to evaluate. Like, say, like 10 years ago, the only real offensive line stats that I could find were sacks allowed and penalties or right. negative things. Mm-hmm. So if an offensive lineman was really good, but say had more false starts than usual, then he would look like a bad uh, a bad lineman. Right. And even sacks like. If, um, let's say, an offensive lineman gives up a sack, but it's a cleanup sack. So left tackle is holding his guy, uh, blocking his guy for a good two and a half to three seconds. The the right tackle blows his block. That mm-hmm. end go, gets a pressure. Quarterback just steps right into the left tackle's guy. The left mm-hmm. tackle gets charged with the sack, but the right tackle mess blew the play. So it's like the closest thing I think we have to offensive lineman evaluation is the PFF grading, which I think, I mean, uh, alert! I kind of I do work with PFF and I know know the guys there, so I have a pretty good, strong opinion. 
um, I think is the best thing that we currently have. But even like grading offensive linemen and the work I've done on it, it's difficult. Like you, like there's so many blocks are like complex and have like different goals. Like how much do you um, downgrade a blocker if it's a zone block and they're in charge of whacking the tackle and moving up to the linebacker? Let's say they get a nice good whack on the defensive tackle, but we're just a little bit late to the linebacker. Do you give that a positive? And that, do you say the linebacker then missed, uh, took a bad angle and missed the tackle? Is it no harm, no foul? Even even the methods we have now, as as nice as they are and as detailed as they are, because trust you, trust me, they're very they're very detailed there's still just so much gray area in evaluating them. And that's what I, one of the things I love about football is all of the gray area. And that's why we do this. And that's why we kind of speculate and why we scout and people have different opinions, you know, uh, cause it's not black and white and it, it wouldn't be as fun if it were. So, uh, that's one of the great things about scouting for sure. Absolutely. As Yogi Bear said or as Yogi Berra allegedly said if life was all new what every single player was going to be then there wouldn't everybody knew that Panace would be an excellent offensive lineman but not like Joe Tom that's what happened well, it would be a lot more boring wouldn't it yeah. <laughs> well uh, thanks so right, much for do you have, on, Paul. Uh, any Anything else you'd like to share with them? Absolutely, Rob. You walk to. And uh, I hope that everybody here, uh, everybody listening, enjoyed the first episode. I hope my goal is to make this a weekly uh, series. But as you know, when you're 25 and moving in the, in the middle of a pandemic and looking for jobs, maybe, who knows? But we're going to do our best to make this podcast as... Um, official and as consistent as possible too but thanks to Searle for coming on thanks for rob for talking and we uh hope to see you next time all right have a great day guys bye uh, this thing keep going